whatever your your athletic endeavor of choice people become that and they focus so much on this that they lose you know that it becomes the definition of themselves and it's it should be it should be a way that you express yourself in my yeah. view like you need to understand like what your values are and why this is why this is a way for you to express it because if that's you and like i said powerlifting is a big one you know go on social media and you know people think that that is who i am if i can't compete i don't they, I, they get lost you know an injury happens think you know it's it's mentally tough on them and it, it can be taken from you at any time that is not that is not you it is not something that you may be able to do your entire life Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Art of Coaching Podcast. Real quick, before we get into today's guest, I want to remind you guys, our apprenticeship workshops are back in action. These are live leadership and communication-focused workshops. This is nothing about strength and conditioning. It's nothing about those kinds of things. It's everything about life, collaboration, communication, conflict resolution, everything we deal with in today's society. We had to shut them down for a long time due to the COVID-19 situation, but we're back in action. These are small. They're intimate. We always keep them that way. They're, they're evaluated opportunities for you guys to work on your ability to work through some of the biggest social skills related issues you face, whether that's at work, whether that's in your marriage, whether that's at any point in your life. I mean, the fact is this guys, poor communication is the one thing guaranteed to make anything in life works. It isn't ironic that we don't really work on it. Well, now you have the opportunity to. So regardless of the profession you're in, anything like that, we do them all over the world. It's very simple. We have a FAQ page for all of you that have a million questions. Just check out artofcoaching.com backslash apprenticeship, artofcoaching.com backslash apprenticeship. And a bonus for those of you who have taken our online courses, bought in or valued, you get an automatic 180 US dollars off. No matter where you're at in the world, that discount will be applied. You just have to show that you have passed and taken our online course, bought in or valued, and you immediately get $180 off. All right, where to start with today's guest, Chris Duffin. Chris was born and grew up homeless in the Pacific Northwest wilderness. You didn't hear that wrong. Born and grew up homeless in the Pacific Northwest wilderness. He was raised in an abusive and chaotic household, much of which we get into today. And he talks about in his book, The Eagle and the Dragon. And listen, his background, when we were outside kind of playing cops and robbers, or some of you were on your iPads now, because I know we have a wide range of, of listeners, he was skinning rattlesnakes, foraging for food, protecting his sisters and his mother. You see, in high school, he was a star athlete and a straight-A student who earned a full ride to college where he graduated at the top of his class. He did this, get this, while working full-time and taking care of his three younger sisters who he had taken custody of because he couldn't stand to see them live in such a toxic and violent environment that he grew up in. 
He worked his way up the ladder, became a corporate executive in the aerospace, automotive, and high-tech manufacturing industry. And in 2014, he quit his career to start Kabuki Strength, which is an organization that is really about strength, cutting-edge equipment design, education, coaching, and even charity. Guys, we promised when we started this show that we were not going to sidestep the tough stuff, the real stuff, the things that make it work. There are so many other podcasts you can listen to if you want to uh, celebrity chasing or if you want to learn sets and reps or if you want to learn the one strategy for success and to be rich. We're just blue collar here. And these are the people that we want to celebrate because it talks about how people from humble backgrounds, even tortured beginnings, can go on to do something great. None of this is wishy-washy. All of it is honest. And I do want to warn you. Obviously, there is sensitive stuff talked about here. Chris came up in an abusive household. He gives graphic and vivid descriptions of things that he witnessed. So if you're a little squeamish and the, or you have kids in the car and these things make you nervous, you know, you've been warned. Now, it's no reason to shy away from this. This is one of the most unique episodes we've ever done. These are important topics, especially around mental health and how to deal with family and how to deal with overwhelm and all these things. So please dive in. Just do so with discernment and celebrate people like Chris who have had the courage to come on and share. All right, guys, without further ado, Chris Duffin. Everyone, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the podcast. I'm joined today by Chris Duffin. Chris, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, the conversation today, Brett. Likewise. And you have such a, a, an awesome background. I love the fact that you have put yourself in so many unique circumstances. But most importantly, what I appreciate about you is the amount of skin in the game that you continually put in, especially given given the nature of your background and some of the constraints you faced. As, as you and I know, there are so many people in the audience would agree that can use limitations, background, all these kinds of things as, as reasons why they're not accomplishing things. And, you know, your story is a pervasive and, and poignant reminder that sometimes those scars and the shrapnel of life are very much the fuel of what you do going forward. Um, you know, I, I have to ask you this, and we just jump right in. We don't waste much time. How long did it take you to really feel comfortable talking about some of the aspects in your background that are a little challenging that we're going to discuss today? Oh, man. <laughs> it probably took me a couple decades, honestly. Like, I'd had the idea of writing the book for quite some time, and it was probably a good two to three years at the end that I was like, okay, the time's coming. It's time to put up there, and there's some there's some difficult subject matter. And, uh, it was, uh, it definitely was a process in the year I spent, uh, uh, working on the manuscript, you know, it was, it was emotionally draining and, you know, am I prepared to, uh, to get this out there? Because there was, you know, before that I'd covered a lot of podcasts and talks, but I'd never really dove to the depth, uh, that I had when I actually put the book together. Yeah. And it's something that very much attracted me to your work. Cause I know with my own story, it took me a while not to feel ashamed by some of those darker moments, especially in a field like strength and conditioning. It, it took me a while, even longer, to figure out how to discuss it because there was so much context that, you know, those things can be overwhelming. And I remember one thing when I was researching you, Chris, and just listening to more of your story, whether it's through reading your book, and, and we'll talk more about that, or even just listening to work you put out there. One thing stuck with me. I remember you, you had said this line. You said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, of course, it was your, your, your stepfather was abusive. Now you called him your father and he was the biological father of 
your three sisters. And these are your sisters. You took custody of them, if I remember correctly, while finishing your engineering degrees. And I know that's a lot for the audience to absorb. And that jumps right into it. But I just have to ask the obvious and perhaps yeah, I mean, how do it, you do that? It, it, it's something that had to be done. I mean, there was, you know, people... Uh, uh, people always try to commend me for this. And I'm like, you know, if you were in the same situation, you would probably be doing the same exact thing. I mean, my, 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 it was not a great household to begin with, but my, after I left, it got a lot worse. My mother had a breakdown and ended up several States away. And my, my stepfather, my sister's father was just barely able to take care of himself. I mean, like, for example, there's I'm not sure whether this story made it in the book. Cause I, it, the book wasn't about telling horrible stories. Sure. So I only told things that related to me, but you know, things that, that drove that, like one of my sisters, she's 13 years old and he thought she had stolen his favorite bowl. And so he kicked her out of the house. It's the middle of winter. There's a foot of snow on the ground. She has nowhere to live, nowhere to go because his favorite bowl he can't find it ended up being on the you know he found maybe a week or something later on top of the refrigerator uh but you know she's <laughs> trying to bounce around from friends houses and uh you know it's like i said another sister ended up in uh, in juvie because she was having issues and gotten in drugs and and then uh, you know it just it, it's something there there was no other option and I had honestly, you know, been raising my sisters basically for the most part, you know, during a lot of my upbringing as well, uh, because of the environment that it was. And I was, I, I stepped away. It's kind of embarrassing when I was going to school. Like the first thing I did is I quit communicating with my family for the first, uh, you know, year and a half because it was, oh my God, I have freedom. I don't have to like, you know, every last dollar, you know, be going to trying to support the family. I can maybe put it in my pocket and go have some fun with friends. Cause if I called home, you know, I'd have to, <laughs> I'd have to give money, right. uh, you know, and just the trauma. And so I just like that first year, freshman, sophomore year of college, I was just like, okay, you know, I'm doing my own thing. And then I, you know, I, I get a hold of my sisters and I find out, you know, all hell's gone loose. And I'm like, okay one my bad you know i wasn't i wasn't there and then the other is yeah i i gotta i gotta step up to the plate so yeah i started uh taking custody of the first one and then end up all three over the course of finishing my engineering degree which i was working full-time uh at, at that time uh already in leadership uh for a manufacturing company and then i continued to pursue my mba while i was working full-time and raising them and just you know, throw in a little training as well. That was life. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say in the intro, you know, we talk a lot about your your decorated background as a powerlifter and the records that you've set and everything there. Were you were you competing at that time that you were also doing this, or where was that in the timeline of things? I was not. I actually didn't even know what powerlifting was. I, you know, I was a mostly a wrestler in high school, yep. and you know, I did I, I did sports year round, but wrestling was the one you know I was you know state level at. And training was just something I enjoyed and had always done. I started training around, I think, 13 years old. Mm. And I, that's all I did. Was, I was just training because I enjoyed it at that time. And there was no, no, no big objective or anything around it. I didn't discover powerlifting until I was, I think I was working on my master's degree. And I was like, well, I, 
these guys in this gym are prepping for a bodybuilding competition and bodybuilding definitely isn't my thing. I'm going to find a bench press competition <laughs> and, and do it just one, just to say I've done it. And, and I found one and it was bench press and deadlift. I'm like, what's this deadlift thing? Yeah. <laughs> I think I trained using knee wraps because like, <laughs> I didn't know any better. Right. But that, I think that's refreshing because I mean, so often, you know, in the, in the performance industry, you hear it, the, the reverse people, they, they almost kind of let be a hobby become, you know, their passion and then their passion became a job and they don't have any kind of true self-identity that's detached from that thing. So I think it's actually refreshing that, to hear that you didn't start that until later. Sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I, I think that's actually a really big thing, you know, yeah. and it goes beyond, we see this obviously a lot with professional athletes or high level collegiate athletes and stuff, but we see this now with, um, you know, call them hobby athletes or, you know, semi-professionals, whatever you call these, you know, powerlifting marathon runners, mm. whatever it is, right. Whatever your, your athletic endeavor of choice and people become that. And they focus so much on this that they lose, you know, that it becomes the definition of themselves. And it's, it should be, it should be a way that you express yourself in yeah. my view. Like you need to understand like what your values are and why this is, why this is a way for you to express it. Because uh, if that is like, if that's you, and like I said, powerlifting is a big one, you know, go on social media and these you know, people think that that is who I am. The soul that in it, if I can't compete, I don't, they, I, they get lost, you know, an injury happens, think, you know, it's, it's mentally tough on them and it, it can be taken from you at any time. That is not, that is not you. It is not something that you may be able to do your entire life. And it was like a big question I had when I, you know, I quit powerlifting itself, like as, as a competition, uh, like five years ago. And then this last uh, couple, you know, earlier this year, I quit doing exhibition lifting, which was what I was doing, raising money for charities and just kind of doing in a fat things in a fashion that I wanted. But I, I got to a point like, this is as big as I can take it. And when I, when I, when I'm done with that and I achieve my goal, I'm done. And so many people are like, you can't do that. You're just keep going. You'll keep going. I'm like, no, like I do these things because here's things that I value. I value achievement. I value like being able to set goals and trying to show people through walk, you know, like you said, skin in the game or what, what have you is not just talking the talk, but being able to, to walk the walk, both in the physical nature and the mental nature of, of doing what you say. And so being able to, you know, inspire through that, being able to chase, you know, big, crazy things uh, that, uh, that, that are kind of gnarly and take, you know, take everything that you got. But there's, there's so much other ways that I can do that same thing that doesn't even have to be lifting. It doesn't have to be athletic even, um, you know, it just because you're a competitive person and you're really focused on achieving goals and chasing, you know, big things or trying to inspire others or whatever it is, there's so many different ways. And, it, and once you realize that it, it allows you a lot better way to be able to realize the things that you want in life and not get stuck. Like, yeah, I, I use this example, somebody, you know, some, some high schooler, you know, my goal is to be in, in the NFL. Well, understand why do you want to be in the NFL? What is it? 
Is it the athletic achievement? Is it the fame that comes with it? Is it like, there's so many different things because guess what? Not everybody's cut out to that. Right. And so you don't want to have like, okay, well, it's not happening. My life, my life goal is just, it's done. There's just no way I can accomplish it. I'm just going to freaking get a job down here, pumping gas or doing whatever. Cause why I'm, well, once you, if you understand why, why do I want to do that thing and really peel back the layers on that onion, you'll, you can find that there's a lot of different ways that you can realize those same things via different avenues. And that's, that's how you live life. <laughs> no, it's spot on. It's well elocuted. I mean, when, when people, it's almost akin to the first really, you know, and some people meet their quote unquote soulmate early, but I look at it as a toxic relationship. People can, they can be in a relationship and get really close to somebody. And you know, that relationship's not a fit It early. It becomes an early relationship. And even if you know it, you, you almost like don't want to get out of it because you feel like, well, nobody will know me like this. And yeah, they drive me nuts. It's very Eminem love the way you lie. And people don't realize that that can happen with their hobbies or their uh, certain activities as well, right? Where these virtues can become vices, where if you self-identify so closely with one thing, as you said, Chris, then it limits the the things that you're able to utilize in a contingency toolbox, right? And you have a, you have a fabrication background, you have to adjust. And with that, I did want to ask you one piece that builds off of that. In your book, I, I especially liked one thing, and you said it in a no BS way, you said embracing fear is not about being fearless. That leads to recklessness and complacency. And I think we see a lot of examples of that. You said it's about learning how to mitigate risk. It's about learning how to control these things um, and, and and face it head on. Now, I, I think to the average listener that can be like, oh, that sounds, you know, kind of fortune cookie-esque. But the main point there is you, that I that I agree with is it's not an, an absence of fear is not fearlessness. It's a love of learning. Would you say that that's fairly accurate with the things that you've continued to pursue based on what you just said? I, I do. And so this is, in my opinion, it is continuous improvement or learning in a nutshell. Um, content, you know, personal growth is the ability to know like when you're becoming complacent and finding those things in life that scare you a little bit. And scare you in a good way. Like you get this, you know, pit in your stomach that's turning because you're excited about it, but you're scared of it. And so a great analogy is just like, you know, when you're you're young and you're, you know, in that uh, that dating, you know, that early dating world before you meet uh, your soulmate. Because <laughs> to use that term, right? Uh, but you know, you've got these drivers that make you. They're genet, you know, genetic drivers, I guess, you know that make us like make that leap to be able to go, Oh my God, there's this person and I'm so excited and I'm scared. But if you didn't have like those biological, so not genetic, but biological factors like driving you, would you, would you, would you let the fear override you? And so, you know, a lot of us, you see that they'll go through and you'll, you know, find your soulmate and you get a job and then, then the rest of their life, they start seeking this complacency and never end up moving forward because, you know, some of those big drivers, the driver to like leave the family and strike out on your own to find a mate to, you know, to build a family. And we need to do that all the time with everything that we do. Maybe not everything, but to learn, to grow, you have to be in this space, this uncomfortable space. Yep have to find this thing that actually scares you a little bit, but excites you. And 
when you found it, it's like, ah, that's, that's the nugget. That's what I need to chase. And it may be, it could be a million things. It's the continue. We learn not just, you know, in attending a seminar, or reading a book or, you know, taking on a new project. It could be, you know, those big things like taking a leap, like I, maybe I'm in the wrong career and I need to go back to school or make this, cr- you know, crazy shift to another job, or it's start my own business. All these things can be really big moves. And, you know, sometimes people will sit at a job that they hate and despise and complain about it for years and years and years. Or, you know, they'll spend 10 years, 20 years thinking, I, I really need to get out there and start my start my own business. Or I really need to go back to school, but they're they're afraid of, you know, what if I fail? What if I'm not good? I, you know, I, I all I did was complete high school and now I'm in my 40s. And this is like for myself, like this is leadership. This is how I actually like get really great engagement. It's like pushing people into this area. If I've got an, you know, an employee and, you know, you know, that's like the thing that I sense, I'll push them in that direction. And next thing you know, like, oh, I'm going to night school. And all of a sudden you'll start seeing changes in all sorts of their aspects of their life. Their, their relationships at home will change. Their relationship maybe with health or fitness might might take an uptake. You'll start seeing all this other because what happens, you start getting engaged with life again. I'm kind of rolling off on a tangent here, but uh, it, I think it's really important to recognize those those things. And I, I call it the practice of living in fear. Like you need to be, you need to be in a transitional moment to be actually growing as a, and, and developing as a person. And so when you find that you're not, you need to try to be in the practice of chasing those things. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, there might be some people listening that may say, all right, Chris, Brett, like it's not so much fear, but what about overwhelm, right? I think that's a common phrase we hear a lot. Some people don't, you know, it's technically burnout, but some people don't prefer that nomenclature, whatever. But I think people feel overwhelmed a lot of the time. And you mentioned, Chris, oh, I don't want to leave a job or I'm, I'm nervous about this. Or sometimes people are just in situations, uh, but they're completely just immersed and overwhelmed by their own ideas and options and choices. Now, given your background, given somebody that has such a diverse skill set, multiple projects going on at once, and I love that in one of your videos you think you uh, you said time management's bullshit, it's about your values, which I agree with. But what, you know, at one, in, in that mad scientist brain of yours, have you ever dealt with overwhelm? And two, what are some practical strategies that you think the person listening could really help, uh, that, that it could help them dealing with those things, whether it's a better system, whether it is getting clarity on their values, but sometimes even their values won't save them because they're just in a situation where they got to get some damn work done. And there's a lot of distractions. Would you mind kind of talking to us about how, uh, overwhelm affects you if at all? Uh, yeah, I, I would be lying if I said it didn't. <laughs> so, uh, there's, there's days, weeks, it's kind of like it, it rolls with waves, right? Where you, you're like, why did I choose to do the things that I'm doing? Like, and you, it feels like everywhere that you turn is going to be a failure. Uh, and it's just, you know, the stress, the stress rolls up. You know, I, I'm sure I'm describing this feeling that a lot of people get. Um, you know, a big piece of that is recognizing that that's your, your feeling and your emotions in the moment. And that one, give it time, it will pass yeah, to some level, that's a right? Huge, that's a huge so, tip. 
it, it is like your some of this is just emotional uh you know baggage it's it's brought on you know all these other factors that are playing a role in it right so we're always having these in, you know stressor inputs and they may be minor you may not even notice that this small conversation there or this comment from your from your spouse or your boss this bad traffic all this other stuff ramps in and you, you know you you know that so we've got all these hormonal stuff happening from this elevation of stress lack of sleep, all these other factors can feed into it and make some of these times moments, you know, worse. And so, yeah, you've got a power, you know, if you're sitting in this overwhelmed area nonstop for, for a significant amount of times, yeah, you're going to have to make some adjustments to your life probably in general. <laughs> and so that comes down to, yeah, you got to understand your priorities and start pairing and cutting things out of your life, but you can't make huge adjustments based on you know, feeling that way for a week, feeling that way for a couple of days, because there is, again, you know, it's, there's going to be some things that drive and push you to that feeling, that state, and just give it some time. And then again, you know, constantly be looking at what are the, you know, what are those things that I, I truly value in life? And is everything that I'm doing aligned with it? And if you keep this is a, an ongoing process and you'll find that there's, there's so much stuff like through your life that is things that you feel that you need to do. They're routine. There's this kind of goes into that time management discussion I was talking about. Uh, but you can get so much more done and accomplished if you start really, really dialing in down on those, you know, those, those values, those core corner, cornerstone pillars in your life and making sure that you're focused on things. They're actually moving that forward uh, because it's really easy to get scope creep and start taking on, you know, another thing that excites you, another project, another whatever. And you don't realize after a while you're in it and you're like, oh, actually all this is doing is causing stress and extra work and, and uh, it is not really like one of the big things that I, I want to be moving forward in my life with. Yeah, you made a good point there. I know a, a coach that I used to mentor in particular that that's how she would escape into that. She would make herself busy, right? And so it's very easy when you're overwhelmed or you're feeling these negative emotions or whatever, however you want to classify the emotions or the affect. It's very easy for high achievers to just make themselves busy and, and go into their work. And that just compounds the issue, right? That's like in training yep. saying, I mean, and that goes to what you guys do at Kabuki and, and with the transformer bar and everything, it's like saying, Hey, we have a, sh we have a shitty pattern here. Uh, let me not, let me not modify it and let's just make it worse. Where I think a lot of your approach is, is shown in the way that you guys design equipment, which I'm just getting more familiar with, right. Is, is saying, Hey, how can we adjust this? It's all about alignment. It's, it's, it's funny, the metaphors and the analogies and, and how, linear, <laughs> it, right. It like is. It, it's what's the load, what's the alignment, how am I pacing myself? And are you just trying to bury yourself in a hole or what's the outcome? You know, is, do you feel like a lot of your life experiences yep. with this kind of influence the way that you design this equipment now? I, I really do. And, um, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to spend just a, a second kind of diving back on that last example first, please, maybe yeah, here. Please. Um, but talking about the, the overwhelmed in something you said there spurred a lot. Like when I was in my, uh, my corporate executive career, I would get hired to come in and, you know, turn around a division of a company or turn around a company itself. And so it meant like I was, I, I was getting recruited into come in and replace, you know, 
someone or a team that wasn't performing, right? And so I would go into these organizations and it wasn't for lack of work or lack of trying that, you know, whoever I was replacing, uh, you know, in those roles, because I would find that they're working six, seven days a week, 12 hours a day, running around with their hair on fire, getting shit done, okay? And the first thing I would do is not do anything. Like they'd hire me, come into this company, and I wouldn't do anything. Step back. I'd step back and really understand, one, I'd see what I actually have to do um, instead of, you know, what are all the busy work tasks that I keep piling on? Because this person wasn't accomplishing the goals before, so they did just what you were. That's what reminded me. They kept adding stuff so that they would feel like they're accomplishing things because they're knocking out all these things, this report, that off their to-do list, so on there. And so you, you internally feel this sense of I'm getting so much done, but it wasn't necessarily the things that needed to happen for the organization to transform, to become, you know, profitable, quality, safety, whatever, whatever those metrics were that were key to the organization and why I was there. And so being able to just like step back from that chaos and analyze it and having a good picture and then just pair out <laughs> like all the nonsense, because that's what people do. They will find things and this is life in general. So I'm talking about a specific, you know, you know, coming in and being a general manager or whatever for, for a company. But I would consistently see that this happen where people did just what you're describing. Yeah, and I, I, so, I think we're all guilty of that. That's good examples there. It reminds me of this uh, Amos Tversky quote who wrote The Undoing Project or who is a subject of The Undoing Project, this really great book. And uh, he was a researcher and so much more. But basically he said, you know, you waste years by not being able to waste hours. And in your case, Chris, you weren't wasting it, right? But like some people would think, wow, you just stepped back. You did nothing. You just observed. Well, yeah, like sometimes, you know, being able to target down and being able to see what's really done, like don't fall into the glorification of busy allows you to really target that. And I think that's a big way that I've learned to combat overwhelm is learning how to actually sometimes just be. And I joke with one of my friends about this because she's like, you're always doing something. You're always releasing something. I'm like, well, not really anymore. Now mm -hmm. there, there are times where whether it's even me not posting on social media for a while or not, you know, somebody always wants me to write a new book. Cause I'm sure people always want you new equipment, new book, new this. It's like, no, man, I'm, I'm going to be okay where I wasn't okay in my twenties. And, and really part of my early thirties as well, just doing nothing. But the fact is, is that gap is where the ideas happen. How you can't create it anything game changing yes. if your mind's always racing. And this is something that you need to be, start doing in the practice is setting aside time to do this. So like in the corporate time, a lot of times I would actually block out my Friday afternoons, no meetings. And that was my time to reflect on the week and plan for the next week and just think about things. All right. Right now I spend time about an hour every evening with my wife and we sit there and go back and forth about our plans for the future, what we're working on and just like trying to understand, you know, because we have a set of, you know, values and goals together as a team that we're trying to do. And so it's really, it's reflective time that we'll sit there, you know, maybe in a hot tub, having a glass of wine or wherever, but it's like, 
we have time set aside for doing this. And it, it's something that when you're busy, you end up filling that time and you never have the time to think and reflect the way that you need to. And, and like I said, that's where the beauty, that's where the, that's where the stuff hits you <laughs> that ends up being game changing. You know, the fact I, I carve out a time in my schedule every day in my workday to get out on the floor and train. I, I remember it was years ago, I was sitting there training and I was using some different bars and I like to think while I train just about other things. And I, you know, I grabbed a notepad of paper and started drawing up the transformer bar. Yeah. <laughs> you I know? remember hearing about this. Yeah. <laughs> on a napkin almost kind of, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yep. So, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just say that that's where my ideas come like in the midst of like, you know, those, those just dreamy states, like when you're in that, when you're in that zone while you're training, or it's like in this half asleep state, you know, I'll, I'll dream the ideas and I'll have to wake up and like start sketching stuff and drawing it out or penciling it out because that's, that's where it all comes to, you know, comes from and is being able to make sure I can have that time and capture, uh, capture what's, uh, what's, what's from it. Yeah, no doubt. I did want to ask you this because you brought up a good point where you like to think about a wide variety of things when you train and inherently, and and give me a moment to try to phrase this because I want to pose this question appropriately. But one thing that to give you context, I, I had heard in the past, sometimes when you meet folks that don't like training, right, they can say, oh, well, you know, I, I have a super stressful job and, and I like being active, but, you know, sometimes if I train, they can get so intense with their training that it almost becomes a stressor where they, they can't think, they can't relax during it. Everything's maximal strain. And these are clearly type A people, and, and some of them just have unique positions. And I always remember at one point in my life saying, huh, for me, training's the opposite. That's a, that's a way that I can really think and, and get clarity, much like you talked about, Chris. But now I have recognized there are times, and, and this started probably a few years ago, where I have noticed that if I want to go out and just get a good session in, um, you know, but I have some things on my mind, if I put pressure on myself to still go all out, like I, I tend to have a bad habit of doing when I'm training sometimes, I, it doesn't turn into that relaxing activity where I think I can, I can end up yep. getting in these habits of, nope, it's got to be this percentage or nope, it's got to be this hard. And I almost for a while, didn't, I never gave myself permission to just lift lighter weights or not have a super structured program. Have you gone through phases of that with your own personal health and wellness? How do you balance that? Uh, absolutely. I mean, when you're chasing doing a thousand pound deadlift reps or a thousand pound squat <laughs> reps, yeah. you think I was actually like letting think. my mind wander around right. and come up with new No, these were like very focused periods, a lot of intensity. Everything is in the moment, the lift, the, and, but that's why I like, you know, I, at the same time, I, I think it's funny because there's different, fa I have different phases of training always through the year. Like sure. it's, it's more of an annual thing. And I'll, I'll do things like one arm barbell snatches or just other like crazy movements that I just love doing. And people I'll post it on you know social media and they're like, Oh my God. So what part of the, and is that <laughs> developing this, this, and this, and is this playing a role into such a, I'm like, no, 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 it's, uh, I think I'm trying to remember, uh, uh, one of the big Russian lifters, he's a, a really well-known Olympic lifter, done well in powerlifting. He's a pretty interesting guy, plays the piano, does all sorts of stuff. Mm. Uh, but uh, he calls it, he does the same, kind of same thing. It's a period of time of lifting for the soul is yeah. what he calls it. And so, I, you know, I have different phases of training through the year. And sometimes people forget, like, you just need to do it for fun, even if you're a very, you know, goal-focused person. 
which you can definitely say I fall in that category, right? But you can't do, here's the thing, you can't do that decade over decade. No. Over decade. And I see so many people, like they come in, I'm going off on a tangent here, but they start like powerlifting in their first few years and they're just so, so, it's squat bench deadlift three times a week, every week, you know, always prepping for a competition. And guess what? Watch them. And they get burnt out in three to five years and they were a mediocre lifter and they, they, they burnt themselves out of the sport because it was still so focused for them. They never gave themselves the opportunity. It became a job. It became something they had to do. And there's phases like that and that you need to be. And if you want those phases to be really net the results, you've got to have time in other phases. Yeah. And that's, it's, you got to, you got to lift for the soul. You got to do what's fun. You can't just hammer like that all the time. And that kind of goes back to the same thing I was saying with like, you know, being busy, the work environment, like set time for the reflective. You have to have these, these other phases in time. Hey, quick interruption. I'm sure like me, you are appreciating the candid nature of the information that Chris is sharing here. And trust me, it only gets better. This is not something you want to stop listening to. Neither, none of our episodes are, but this is not something you want to quit listening to now. So I don't care if you just got to work, you got to your destination, you're done walking the dog, keep it rolling. Bookmark this thing for later because it's about to get even better. But one thing I appreciate about him even more than his candid nature is the things that he's doing at Kabuki Strength. And listen, if you've listened to my work for a while, you understand that I am pretty, I'm a pretty gung-ho guy. And that isn't just about how I approach life, but also my training. And sometimes that can get me into trouble. Sometimes I can get stubborn. And one thing I've learned to do in my life a little bit better now is adapt. And equipment from Kabuki Strength, especially the new Transformer bars, allowed me to do that. You know, I had back surgery in 2015. It was an issue that I've had my entire life. I wish I could tell you I was wrestling like a puma or something, but it always made squatting really uncomfortable for me. Um, it always made a lot of things uncomfortable for me. And, and the Transformer bar is something that's allowed me to get back to it, you know, and I'm, I'm able to get into these patterns and I'm able to do so in a way that's actually sustainable. And I don't have to go out to the garage on a day that I'm squatting or doing something and be like, all right, here we go. I know I'm going to feel like trash after this. So, you know, you have to check this thing out. It's designed and manufactured in the us at their strength lab the transformer bar and it is something that if you have shoulder injuries back issues if you have anything where you just kind of felt like discouraged in the past or you felt like it, it kept you from being able to drive to your fullest potential uh, during your training or straining check it out all you have to do guys it's, it's stupid simple just go on to google and type type kabuki strength the transformer bar or you can go to kabukistrength.net but check it out i want to support small businesses we at art of coaching are a small business so check out that stuff and make sure to tell a friend to tell a friend all right back to chris yeah it's very interesting how many things and and that, i didn't think that was a tangent i thought that you you went through that very clearly you know and and believe me i'll call out tangents if i see them because i'm self-aware on mine as well but it, it's great i think Here's the other thing with that, and I'd be interested in your thoughts here. You, you, you're obviously a very self-aware person, and we'll talk about more of where that comes from, you know, with your experiences in the book and your life and what have you. But 
I think one thing that we all see as we get older or, or just more observant of ourselves is how easy that can manifest in other areas of your life. You know, for a while it was, okay, I get very intensive in my training. I know another area or pitfall I fell into is I used to pride myself, Chris, because I never really had a mentor. Um, and I didn't have a lot of people, if I reached out for help as, as a younger coach, would ever really get back to me. And I remember, and I've talked about it on the show a lot, oh, I'm going to respond to every I've- email, every tech. Go ahead. Just go ahead. I, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I, I remember. And so for years I went hard and heavy on that. But now, you know, by the grace of God, you know, our, our business has expanded, but that also comes with the, the double-edged sword of more and more people reach out more and more people. And I can't get back to everybody. And there've been times I drive myself down that same rabbit hole as I've done with training or other parts of my life, trying to almost, I wouldn't call it people please, but still trying to be that version of myself that was able to do things when there weren't as many constraints that stuff can just be really hard to let go of to realize like, Hey, stop, you know, you'll, you'll drown yourself. If you continue to try to apply that same intensity to all these things in your life, you're not in that position anymore. I was wondering what other areas do you find that with as a, as a creative? Uh, Cause I would consider you somebody that's creative with the way you draw things up, but also somebody that just values stone cold facts and, and clear cut, you know, quantitative knowledge about yourself and others. Yeah, so this is this has been a a struggle point for me for, you know, as I've moved into my own, you know, being an entrepreneur, I guess. I I kind of hate that term, but you know, I'm involved in <laughs> four different businesses. So, uh, I guess is. technically it's uh, I can't avoid it, but um I, I was a very task-driven operations person for 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 a career, right? And but it didn't allow me this creative outlet. And so now, as I've moved into this, I'm, I'm not the CEO of any of my companies. I'm not the president. I'm not the main person in charge. I'm trying to be in this. I call it a, a CVO, chief visionary officer. Yeah, yeah. it's just some <laughs> word I made up, but whatever. Uh, but to try to spend time in this creative space that allows the ideas to flow. And I work on other projects and things. And, and what I have found is from a leadership perspective, like I, I hired a, my engineering manager, we worked together in uh, the automotive uh, in, uh, world like two decades ago. Is this a skinny uh, mountain biker? Yes, skinny <laughs> mountain biker. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that designs all our heavy lifting yeah, equipment. Yeah, yeah the paradox. Uh, but uh, uh, he comes to the team and he's like, the first year he's here, he starts coming up to some of the guys. He's like, what did you do to Chris? He's like, he used to be a great leader, but I don't know. He's not like he used to be. <laughs> And and the thing is, I, I'm not as good of a business leader uh, as I used to be. Well, maybe not a business leader, but a, uh, you know, somebody that's in a direct operating position. Numbers driven. Numbers driven and uh, going to be no emotions. You know, here's the, you know, here here's the thing. Somebody you can walk up to and expect to have the same, like, you know, emotional perspective, you know, non-emotional, uh, you know, data perspective and just a, a nice even where now I'm more emotional. I wear my, I let my emotions wear on my sleeve. I try to live in this other space and, and I realize I'm, I'm just not as good at that anymore and trying to come to terms. Then I tried to fix it. Right. And, and it, it's just interesting, like trying to figure, cause these are, these are pretty big things. Like I've, I've known myself as being this, you know, for two decades, you know, being a, a turnaround expert and being able to be able to articulate and grow leaders and do all and and yet at the same time now all of a sudden I'm like am I just do I just am 
am I not trying hard enough? <laughs> am I not working hard enough? Am I not being present enough? Am I not like, you know, questioning, like questioning myself, my abilities and things like that. And it's, so it's, it's, it's figuring, figuring out that balance and where it fits. And that's where I'm like trying to redefine my, my roles and make sure people understand what the roles in and why, Hey, there's somebody else that's manages operations. There's a different CEO. There's a different, like my role is mentorship, long-term vision and direction for the company, uh, input into the creative and, you know, the design side, um, and making sure that's aligned with where we're going, what we're trying to create. And so it's just really trying to understand like this unknown role. It's not written in any books anywhere. Like, no, if it is, I, I missed, I, I missed, I missed that chapter in school. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, th I think that's a natural evolution. You know, we did an episode recently with a, a good friend named Luca Hosevar that talks about the the difference between managing and leadership. And, and what you're talking about is a natural evolution into leadership. Leaders are supposed to be more innovative, visionary, more education, big picture, uh, you know, where managers are going to be the day to day. It's this 1080 10 principle that we use at art of coaching of, you know, I'm going to set 10% of the vision related to a project or a certain output. 80% then, you know, based off the information I provide in the context is, is the members of our company to kind of grab and lead from there. And then the last 10% is the finishing touch. Now there's certain things that I'm hyper involved in because I've got to be the one innovating it. But the goal is uh, eventually to get to that where, where you can get. And we, we looked at it in one of our courses we talk about, and I think you, you talked on it very well. Uh, there's three stages in anybody's career, but you're right. Nobody learns it. There's the execution stage where it's to learn your trade, learn your craft, immerse yourself in it. Go, go, go. There's then expand. Expand is all right. Now look at other interests. What are things on, on the fringe of your curiosities that may not be directly related at first glance, but absolutely um, help and, and build that. And then finally, and this would be the stage I'd consider you being in to a degree, although there's of course interlapping between them all is evolve and evolve is that I know you don't like the term, but that entrepreneur, that bigger picture, that meta what's, what's the next project. And I think when people get too pigeonholed in one of those stages, it's not just their work life that suffers, or as we talked about prior, Chris, their identity, but your relationships will, because it's almost like you can't let go. And I know I dealt yeah, with that. I, yeah. I didn't want to let go of just being a strength coach. Cause I always, you know, like I took a lot of pride in that. There's a lot of people that say they're strength coaches and they don't really coach and they do this and they, and I, I do those things. But at the same time, I just realized, you know what? I also do other things. And I, I learned to quit being ashamed of those other things that I thought would take away from making me a better strength coach. And in reality, they made me better at that and so much more in other capacities. I'm, I'm sure you, yeah. you struggle with that tug of war. Yeah. And your, uh, your word ashamed is definitely like the case. Like I felt ashamed that I wasn't coming to the plate as, as good as I, as I used to like for my own companies now <laughs> and really coming to terms like, no, it's okay because what I'm doing now is something different. And it's actually more needed for me to do that than those other things. And so it's, uh, but yeah, getting over kind of that, that, that shame piece around it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I, I go back to, and, and this is one of my favorite movies, the dark Knight. There's a point where Batman says, Hey, this isn't the role I need. I'm, I'm whatever Gotham needs and people can laugh at comic book movies or what have you. But a lot of those things are based off real life struggles and internal dialogues we have. And, and he decides he's going to play that role, right? Sometimes you need to be the anti-hero. And, and whether that's in life or your own story, you've got to figure that out. But to, I just think it's maladaptive 
if we just hold on to one part of ourselves in perpetuity. And by the way, yeah. you, you set a life goal for me. I've been trying to convince my wife for the longest time we've been saving up for a damn hot tub. When you said you and your wife will just have time to talk about future vision, glass of wine and a hot tub, man, that's, that's a poster on my wall I, right now. You should, I put it on my Instagram because it's pretty cool. It's just a two-person because I want to make sure – it's not the kids. It's not the family. It's yeah. me and hers. It's right off. Uh, we're on the second. Our, our master bedroom is on the second door, and it's got a little private deck. So it's literally six feet from our bed. That's Just perfect. open the door, private deck. The two of us drop in there. It's it's amazing because <laughs> it's just it's our time. Like you know, and we we did it in the middle of uh, COVID. You know, after the kids were like with us every single day for like a month. It's yeah. like you know every part of the house. It's like okay we're going to do something just for us, you know, a little space for us and time for us to make sure we've got that. <laughs> now, now, now with that, and it's okay if this is something you don't want to chat about, you know, if you guys are first time listeners to the show, we don't script anything. We, this is, these are real conversations, right? So, um, but I did want to kind of chat about that. I had my wife on for our hundredth episode and we opened our life up a little bit to our audience. And you've mentioned your wife a couple of times. And of course I want to respect her privacy, but given your background, given everything that you went through and some of the things that you had to overcome, I, I know one thing I dealt with is trying to make sense of myself for my wife. Hey, this is why I am the way I am. These are things that I experienced at a, at an early age. This is kind of why I have a tenacity or, or more of a, a short temper around other things and a passion for this and that. It, I, I found that the complexities of sometimes what we go through in early in life can be kind of tough to talk to your significant other about during the early stages, whether it's courtship or, or marriage, because you're, you're never able really, we grow and we evolve, but there's tendencies and ticks and traits that come as a result of our upbringing. How did you ever disclose some of these parts of your background and everything you had to overcome, Chris, to your wife? Was that an uncomfortable conversation? Was that something that came naturally because she was such a fit or was she a part of it? Did she know you through some of this? Yeah, is uh, well. This is actually uh, my second uh, second marriage. Okay, and um, and it, it was fairly natural. It, it really was because, well, one, a lot of people just know me online, yep. and I am a bit eccentric, a bit <laughs> odd, a bit like over the top with everything, and so you know coming in that it's it's going to be a little bit different environment. Now is that and, always uh, or just online? Are you like that? If I mean, cause you don't seem that way talking to you right now. I'm very down to earth, but like, you know, I, I want to do a feat of strength that nobody else has accomplished in the world. Yeah. I want to build a unique uh, uh, vehicle from the ground up, including the axles and frame and everything that it, there's nothing else like it in the world. I want to build uh, game changing, you know, the best barbells, in the world. I want to, I'm building a company that I really, you know, it's tough to say this because a lot of people don't realize the full extent of the, the plan. And it's, it may sound a little unbelievable uh, at this point in time, but I want to have a huge lasting impact that is going to change the face of strength training and the integration to clinical practice uh, and including aspects of clinical practice before I'm done Love it. Um, with and it, it's it's a big audacious goal and that's what i'm chasing you know and so i've got big vehicles i've got like everything that i do is just big. kind of like large and big and you know if it's not going to be it sounds silly but like 
if I'm not going to chase something that's going to be, you know, the best, you know, arguably some at some in some fashion or another, the best in the world or world class, it's not worth my time doing. But do you and think so, you have to have a mate? That's but I can like be that? grounded and say I can be grounded in saying this stuff because I, sure. I, I walk the walk. I live the walk. Uh, and 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 I'm doing it from a point of I'm very open about why I want to do it, what I want to accomplish. And it's not to it's not to have a big name and make a bunch of money or do any of this stuff like I truly want to have this stuff happen. Like I didn't, you know, writing a book isn't a profitable venture. Right. I spent a year doing this because my businesses don't allow me to tap into, you know, the mental, the emotional, uh, you know, aspects of strength of being able to deal with adversity in the training world, we call it adapt, you know, ad adaptation, but it's the same thing, being able to adapt to stress and having it be a positive thing. If we do it inappropriately, just like in strength training, it becomes a negative thing. I did that just so that I could have that because that is, that's, that's my goal is to be able to help impact people in this manner and help in all aspects, understanding that if we, provide stresses and seek stresses and do this in the appropriate manner, we become stronger and better versions of ourselves. Sure. And uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, I'm kind of way out there, no, uh, but it, back to that. Yeah. It, it, it left the conversation pretty, um, pretty easy. And especially like meeting my family, which is a bit odd, you know, they live in the mountains and do all sorts of weird stuff. So it's uh, you've got to be basically attracted to, uh, to oddness and eccentricity to, uh, <laughs> Uh, and, uh, so, uh, and then we're just a great fit. Like, I mean, we've been open about everything, you know, from day one. And I, uh, I think part of that is we, at the time I didn't see another relationship in my, like how that would fit into my life with everything that I've got going between, kids, business, and all the crazy stuff I'm going, I'm like, I don't plan on dating. I don't plan it. And so we actually, we met and our relationship started with no intention of it ever being anything more. So there was no, there was no trying to um, impress or set, you know, like well, what do you mean hiding, some you mean? hiding some aspect of yourself or there was just no, there was no need for that because it wasn't trying to win a partner or, you know, anything like that. And I think that actually really set us off for, for great success in that fashion. It was a little unusual, um, but it was, that's just the, the, the way it ended up being because yeah, <laughs> without going into too much detail. No, I think that, I think that's fine. I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, and people don't often talk about it, but it's unique, right? When you're somebody that has big in your terms, big audacious goals and all these things um, you know, there's, it can be tough and, finding. And the beautiful thing is she, she does too. So that's why it's like, and there, and I support everything. It's not, this is not a her support me thing. Like no. we're chasing this together and she's got her own set of stuff. And so it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. I love it. And that, and <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to ask with that, because it's funny, right? On one end, we say uh, birds of a feather fly together on another end, opposites attract, right? And you never really know which relational uh, kind of metaphor is the same. And I know with you, with my wife, you know, she is somebody that's very uh, low key. She loves just, she, she's very uh, content. And now she's also, you know, driven to be, um, you know, great at what she does as well. But there's sometimes where I know I can get so into a goal that I wonder, I'm like, damn, like, 
you know, I feel like I'm awful at, you know, the relationship side of that where I can get so dug into what I want to do in a mission and a vision, yet I'm so committed to my family as well. We always feel that pull as dreamers, do we not? And that's what I mean. Oh, yeah. When you're a dreamer, there's nothing more important than family, but you also know that you need seclusion and isolation sometimes to let those things go. Otherwise, nothing will be built. Yep. And, And I think that's great because we both have that that understanding and she she gets that time i get that time but you know focuses you know on the time with the family together as well you know but like yeah she was going to be on master chef uh usa except for this you know thing that happened this year when she was in canada before she met me she was runner-up to be uh on master chef uh, uh canada and uh we're working on our pilot's license together uh she's uh she's a she's a go-getter so uh it uh we, we, we really understand each other on that level and, you know, make sure that we provide the time for each of us to, you know, to have the space to do what we need to do. Yeah, I think that's critical. And, and that's a good point. You know, I want to. And, and a lot, a lot of people that and that's where, like, my first relationship failed uh, because that lack of being able to understand uh, it was viewed as me being very selfish. Mm. And at some level, I guess it is. Uh, but it's also trying to build, you know, a legacy. And what, for me, it's like being able to, and I, I actually have this, op- I'm just stealing straight from the opening of my book, but is is being able to demonstrate through my actions and the way I live my life to my kids that they can go to the, into this world and create and form it around them in whichever way that they want. And they've seen it by example and who knows how they're going to, how they're going to impact the world or what they're going to do in it, but to know, to have them know and have seen that that can be done. And, and that's, uh, uh, I'm not sure how that fits in the conversation. (laughs) No, it's fine. Well, I'm glad you brought the book because within, within the conversation, we've talked a lot about family and drives and you even mentioned biology early on and, and, and that led to me to one part of your book, and, and there's some commonality here because my mother uh, is a Mensa member as well. And you had this part of your book where you talked about, you know, your, your father, and he's a member, he was a member of Mensa, right, which is a high IQ society, very small percentage of the world. My mom used to remind me of that, just, you know, giving me a hard time playfully, you know, growing up like, hey, and until, you know, you're out from under my roof and you have more degrees and this and that, and she never did it to shame. She just did it because our family's a bunch of wise asses. Um, but then you also talk about, if I can be candid, how the, the rest of, like the rest of his family, your father struggled with depression. His mother mm-hmm. had committed suicide as did her two brothers. So much of who we become is, is rooted not only in the external environment and the social factors we're around, but biology. Now I know this wasn't, this wasn't your, your biological father, right? Like, but at the same, uh, th- th- this was my biological was father. Biological. So yeah, I, and I've been plagued with the same depression, uh, issues. I mean, uh, through my, through my life and had to, had to learn to deal with that and, uh, you know, seek counseling as appropriate. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's not something, not something I hide from and it's certainly, you know, uh, being, uh, you know, bipolar depressive is, it's interesting. Uh, you know, my, my therapist has offered to put me on medication many times and, but at the same time, the peaks are like, that's, that's where the crazy stuff, that's where the idea is. That's where the big leaps forward in everything that I do happen. Um, but it's managing those risks that come on the downside. Yeah. And you know, what? like oh, it, it, growing up, I mean, I watched, 
I watched my father dump gasoline all over himself and stand there with a lighter, you know, threatening to kill himself. That was one of the seven different times he uh, attempted suicide. And, you know, hearing the story about grandma blowing her head off with a shotgun and, you know, her brother jumping out a window in L.A. And, you know, like it's this it, it's it's a real thing. And I've I've felt it and had to deal with it, you know, since I was since I was a teenager. Well, uh, you know, and I'm I'm glad you don't run from that because we talk about it. You know, a friend of mine, Brad Stolberg, he he talks about it quite a bit. You know, I don't think people are aware that getting counseling and things like that can be such a huge, huge amplifier to success in life and happiness. You know, like I know when I was hospitalized as as a kid, as a teenager, we had to meet with therapists all the time, and so you start kind of, you know, I don't want to say self-actualizing because that wasn't, you know, you can't say that you did that at 15 and 16, but you learn a hell of a lot more about yourself when you do open up. And I think that there's still always this stigma when, oh, sorry, go ahead. So it, yeah, it's, it's people don't understand. They think about, you know, being on a couch and like therapy, you know, and, and and it's really, you need to think about it as, is having a mentor. Yep. It's a mentor that's educated in a certain, you know, in a certain discipline, but that discipline is to help you understand yourself better and are we not coaches do we not understand the value of mentorship so there is absolutely nothing wrong or nothing to be ashamed of in seeking those those resources and it can be actually really beneficial to your life in general even outside of dealing with those specific issues to have somebody have that time to help you walk through and dive deeper on some of these these subjects and understand where you're coming from, what your drivers are and those sorts of things in your life. Like it's, do I do it all the time? No, but there's been phases where I've definitely needed to, to use that as a resource. And it's been, I would say beneficial as a whole, well beyond just dealing with those specific issues at the, at the time. And that's, you know, that's my plug for the, you know, finding and using those resources. Cause especially, especially as males, like it's like something that's kind of, you know, frowned upon and you, you know, you're, you're too tough, you're too whatever. And it's, it's a dangerous game. I mean, we'll look at suicide rates by gender too. I mean, it's right. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, and you know, I love the way, and I, I apologize if he ever listens to this podcast, so I doubt he will, you know, an author in terms of the pronunciation of his name, Nasir Gamey, you know, talks about these things called a first rate madness. And he says, one thing that we don't understand about aspects of of mental health is you're, I mean, you're talking about pretty esteemed company with people that have faced, you know, ups and downs, both uh, genetic and otherwise. You're talking about John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi. You're talking about all these people that, you know, what's really interesting, and he makes a great case for it in his book that's research-backed, is, you know, what we think are mentally healthy people in today's day and age are often maladaptive. You know, everybody, you have to be an odd number to be number one. Now, of course, you know, you still have to control these things the best you can and you have to address them. But I think there's something to be said and the research makes it clear that people who are quote unquote viewed as stable or sane or whatever term people use, you know, really they don't make great leaders in chaotic times because they haven't had to get to know themselves, the ugly parts, the tough parts. Uh, They don't always have, they sometimes have a naive view of things because they haven't been down rabbit holes. And so it's just, it's a strong call to action and I'm glad you're not ashamed of it because you shouldn't be. It's really interesting because I I haven't read that one, but I'm trying to think of uh, there's another one that I've read 
uh, that does a dissertation that dives deep on a whole lot of like really creative and influential figures through history. And it's like, you, and it starts pointing you to just read their biographies yeah. and you'll start going, oh my God, this person had this issue. This is like, it's so clear as day that on so many key figures that, you know, changed the world in some manner or another. Yeah. They were not, as we term sane, uh, you know, um, and maybe that's where I should, probably shouldn't use that word in that manner, but uh, I, I think our audience could probably understand yeah, where I'm di- coming they're from. They're discerning. Yeah. Most of these people have yeah. kind of read, you know, in my book, we talk about a constellation of traits and, you know, you're looking at, we even, we, we do stuff in our clinics about subclinical levels of psychopathy and, and all that. It's just very interesting what we think we know about these quote unquote traits. We don't really know as much as we think. And, and it gets scarier, uh, scarier meaning to the person that assumes they, they know, and they have this black and white squeaky clean person when they look at the research and find that some of the most effective leaders of all kind, all time you know had this variability in mood and persona some clinical some some clinical but none of yeah. them were considered quote unquote normal by any means yeah how many how many how many figures you know did amazing things in the time of need yet they were also known for disappearing yeah yeah <laughs> right uh you think about you know the even take it back to you know uh, tribal days and you think about like that mythical warrior, right? And you, you hear this in, in mythology, you know, they were there and they, you know, led the, you know, you know, led whatever group to, you know, winning or being safe or whatever it was, but they were also known for disappearing into the woods and going on, you know, vision quests and like being like, really, do you, do you, do you understand what that meant? Yeah. <laughs> Like that was the downtime and they needed to be away from everybody. And the uptimes is when they were the leader, the protector. And uh, it's, it's, it's in our mythology dating back even further than, you know, we've got biographies and stuff to, to, uh, to, to rely on. Well, and I think your book only adds to that, you know, Chris, and, and so does the openness of conversation. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, really shows good leaders, good people, adaptive people is openness to experience and, our audience values people who come on that don't shy away from stuff, have tough conversations and open that up. And, you know, I, I know I can't thank you enough. I, I promise you an hour, but I can't thank you enough of, uh, you know, just for being open and not shying away. Cause it's such an easy path to be like, nah, read it in the book, nah, do this. But people need to hear these things because there's so many, we get a lot of listeners, you know, tens of thousands over the course of just a couple months, hundreds of thousands. And, and, Everybody can relate. Everybody has ups and downs. Everybody has dreams, fears. Everybody has imperfect families. The only family that's perfect is the one you haven't met yet. And you covered a lot of ground here, man. So, you know, I I definitely want to give you the last word, but I also just want to share my heartfelt appreciation of you not dodging anything today. Well, thank you. I, like I told you, it's, uh, I, I, I like to be as open as I can on this, these subjects, because otherwise it doesn't, uh, doesn't reach or affect people and what's the point of having the conversation right a hundred percent and guys we're gonna of course put the links in the show notes and and everything like that for the, the bars that we mentioned chris's book the eagle and the dragon every single thing is in the link but chris i also want to give you the opportunity if if there's one spot that you absolutely want people to go to to learn more about you support you connect with you where is that spot where do you prefer um, probably just my personal website, which is chrisduffin.com or christopherduffin.com. Got a link to my businesses, Kabuki Strength, Barefoot Athletics, and uh, Build Fast Formula. 
And you can get a free audio download of my book there, which we didn't really dive into, but it is a crazy wild story covering, uh, 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 <laughs> well, I won't, I won't go into it, but uh, it, it will probably surprise you. We deal with uh, drug running, murderers, uh, pedophile ring, serial killer, and growing up in the wilderness, handling snakes at six years, rattlesnakes live at six years old and, and uh, to, uh, to becoming a, uh, yeah, corporate executive, entrepreneur, and all sorts of other stuff. So it's a it's a wild ride, but it's a great story. But it's really about the messages and themes of every chapter. I tried to really dial this in and make it a usable piece for everyone. It's the things that I learned in the introspection process through the years, and the philosophy that came out of it that has led to success in the corporate world, the entrepreneur world, the sports performance world. Uh, at a world-class level, basically in every one of those, and and so it's it, it puts this in your hands. It doesn't give you any answers, but it asks you the questions to really dive deep and understand your own values, so that from there you can establish goals that align and have a life that executes those values and vision that you want to have. So. Uh, it's it's an incredible piece. Just look at the reviews if you got any question about it. So, uh, but uh, uh, I think you'll get a lot out of it. Yeah, and guys, like um, the, the intro that you heard backs up everything that 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 Chris talked about. You know, the the stuff you heard us talk about is just really in the first thirty to fifty pages of his book. But you know, Chris, what, what you stand for is what you said on page one sixty three, which is you know, exercise proactivity. Right? It's easy to attribute your situation in life to external circumstances and all this other stuff. And it's really true if you live in an, you came up in a negative or unique environment, which you kind of elucidated on earlier. But the bottom line is you, you shouldn't look to control everything. You got to adapt to it. And so I, I couldn't agree more. And it's uh, if, if you hadn't shared this stuff in your book, you know, of course, I support you and I, I support your work. But this is stuff that, uh, you know, brings you into the circle even more because these are the topics. This is the, to this is the bigger stuff, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. 100%. Well, guys, until next time and, and you know, dive deep into the episode handouts that you get they're free again all these links are going to be here you need to support folks like chris and all of our guests that come on these are these are professionals that take time away from their family their love their craft check out their stuff chris i thank you again say social media um uh instagram and uh, linkedin are the two areas that i interact on so you can type in my name i don't need to give any handles uh <laughs> instagram and linkedin is the ones where I, that I actually interact so check me out there and then uh, check out the website. So thanks. Beautiful, guys. Until next time, this is the Art of Coaching Podcast. Brett Bartholomew and Chris Duffin signing off.